Donald John Trump incited the erection. Yeah, that really happened. Hit the open. The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This is your United States of America. That's got topics for days, and it'll leave you in a haze. Hosted by two mother that like to talk about everything news, sports, politics, pro wrestling, people jumping off buildings, taco shops, top ten lists, and more. It's got one guy who likes to get high on a lot of grass, and the other guy who got shot in the ass. And now, here's your host of the Hitting the Marks podcast, Jargo and RBV. Thanks, MSG. Hello, ladies and guys, and welcome to an all-new edition of the Hitting the Marks podcast right here at the HTM Podcast Network online. Hittingthemarks.com, Hameen Media Group. Two feeds, hackerhameen.podbean.com, hameenmediagroup.podbean.com. I am the aforementioned Dr. Jargo. We're going to have to get MSG to recut that, get that doctor yeah. in there, because i got I got to squeeze that in wherever I possibly can. I will be your host for the day. That's my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend, the guy who's still wearing Cincinnati Bengals colors because he's a diehard. He's the real RBV. Rick, welcome back to your show. Hey, you got to keep on believing. Keep on moving on. That's the way of the RBV, RBV Fitness. Yes, Jarko. Richard Bronson, Vickery, back again. The Hitting the Marks podcast. And we got a, a, a quality run, another quality run each and every week as we get into this thing. I think, what are we heading in here to like month three since since the evolution of the Hitting the Marks podcast? Yeah, and, and you know, one thing that hasn't changed the entire time since we have rebooted this podcast is I, I still have shitty weather. Another 12 inches of snow coming today. Huckleberry, I heard that you guys are getting the ice on the other end of this storm. Um, there is a massive snowstorm hitting the Midwest, and nobody cares because it's not New York. So nobody cares. Well, no, I mean, we don't have to panic. We don't go into panic mode. We don't, we're not calling in the reserves. We don't need any big brother government assistance because, again, that's what we do here. We just keep on getting on. We keep on moving on. Hey, what's a little ice and snow to the Midwest, brother? Right. Just just another day, just another season. Uh, but yeah, we uh, our winter advisory here is going to be slick roads ahead. But believe me, no no fear, no worry out there. Again, keep moving on. It is not gonna. It's not gonna stop this train tomorrow. As I kick off Cincinnati Wing Week. We've, we've got some Trump stuff that we want to talk about today. We, we talk about some Biden stuff, but he ended up putting us to sleep. But I actually did find a great new game here to play on the podcast. It's called Who Did It Better? That's going to be coming up a little bit later on today. And Rick, of course, HTM Sports Championship Weekend. I, that's how I spent my weekend. I mean, it's your weekend update brought to you by JustCBDStore.com. Visit JustCBDStore.com. Put in your promo code HTM. Get an extra 20% off at checkout. Rick, I, I, I was enthralled in sports all weekend. I feel like I barely even saw my wife and kids. I was either waiting for the game to start or I was watching the game. That's pretty much how my weekend went. Well, you know, across the board, Saturday and Sunday, a super stacked weekend for sports. A, a knockout 
weekend, if you will, as we hit the knockout hurt round the world Saturday night. Uh, I think the entire MMA world was was shocked. Did you? Did you or watch a it? Good majority of it. Yes, yes, I did. I got into that thing. I I, uh, I, I, I heard McGregor got knocked out in the second round. Um, and, and that's it. I didn't bother to watch the fight. I just I was not interested in watching Conor McGregor fight in 2021. What the hell's wrong with me? Well, again, you know, and what we're seeing here, the numbers, not many are feeling your way. That he still remains that spectacle. And as you're the one who perfectly put it not so long ago, I don't think so many people are tuning in anymore for the, the technical aspect. No. It is the to see what we saw there, to see him get pummeled, to see him get beat up. He has become that, that one of those ultimate heels, uh, almost to the point where he's almost beloved now because you just love to see him be beat so much. But, you know, maybe I had a little more interest in this thing as in, we've had some tremendous early success, me and JB, Javid, with the bottom line sportsbook uh, half an hour series that we've been doing each and every week. And what I really found interesting going into the fight Saturday night was about the prop bets, really. And something that was almost unheard of, you're not going to see anywhere, but it was because of the hype machine that you could place a bet on if McGregor would win that thing in under a round and a half, one and a half. Because he came out and was so prominent in saying, I'm going to end this thing that quickly. Right. You could actually place a bet on that which unheard of that you let someone call their shot and then you had people willing to put the money on it to back the thing uh, is that was that was Jay's JB's lock of the week uh, and it paid off quite well is the fight went about another round and, and then McGregor found himself passed out on the ground yeah Saturdays around here basically just consist of the NBA for me whether it's the Steph Curry show whether it's the Luka Doncic show uh, Trey Young show um, I'm, I'm getting there with Damian Lillard. I really enjoy watching me some Damian Lillard, even though I think he's a complete horse's ass. Um, but, you know, I still watch the Lakers, and they're full of horse's asses. So, you know, I mean, I guess there's that. Now, I, I will admit, you know, Sunday we're going to get into football when we get into hashtag HTM sports. Uh, but watching the game Sunday night, I had to go back just in preparation for the show and kind of go back and rewatch that second game. I I haven't seen any of it. We're we're recording on Monday. We've been recording on Tuesday. So typically on a Monday night, I'll go through and I'll try to get through as much of like the important stuff of the game as I can. But I, I'm stone cold to sleep on for the Sunday night game. You know, I, I didn't see any of it. Of course, I didn't feel like I needed to see any of it because even like you know, three hours before the game started, I was just like, yeah, I feel like the Chiefs really have this at hand. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into the finer details, the stats, looking towards the Super Bowl. Uh, but it, it's funny that you'd mentioned the NBA. And, and, you know, it's just we're professional wrestling guys. And for me, where you're more of the technical style, what's happening with the movesets inside the rings, I'm about the personas, the moments, the storytelling. So as I'm flipping around during the game, I get caught on a commercial. I, I see a 30 for 30. And you know how magnificent they do with their storytelling and right. bringing those characters. I mean, just seemingly jump off the screen. Well, they had the back-to-back running of the story of the the showdowns between the Lakers and the Celtics from the 80s. Oh, man. Yeah, showtime. It, absolutely incredible uh so just go back and relive that and to, to hear it from all the players that were there but especially especially you know bird and magic and that surrounding cast and 
and the ups and downs, the struggles that they that each team had gone through, but still to remain there as championship caliber, really remarkable. And it just it hooked me. I was thinking about Larry Bird this weekend, too. Uh, it, it was when Draymond Green got thrown out of a game for yelling at his own teammate. And I thought, my God, if they were going to start tossing people for yelling at their own teammates back in the 80s, Larry Bird would have never stepped foot on the court. Like, he wouldn't have even made it out of practice. My God. It, it, it's kind of funny about that. They they were going back to the 84 game and where the teams hadn't really developed that mutual respect for one another. They're kind of, it's the tail of the tape. They're measuring each other up. Uh, neither one of them wants to give way of, you know, it's the old tradition of Boston versus, you know, the showtime of LA. And in that series, you know, it was push up to shove and someone had the break and it got very physical. And I, I think it will, oh, McHale. Comes in and hits him. I mean, he just straight dick. clotheslines him out of the yeah. air, almost like almost home, pretty much hit him with a bulldog. Yep. And you know it, they're going back to the reporters and all that. And it was funny is someone from the Boston Globe said, "Hey, it might look terrible right now, but it was 1984, and that was barely a foul, right? <laughs> that was because they were they even started talking about that, like." You look at the game today and how it's evolved, and you think back then that there wasn't an ejection. There wasn't the league raining down fines, you know, kicking people out for the series. It it wasn't even a flagrant. It was just a regular call. And that was a take on, hey, it was 1984. As long as as you didn't break somebody or decapitate them, it, it was a foul. Carly brought this to my attention, and, and I feel like this was a couple years old because I feel like I heard about this like a while ago that somebody had asked Jordan, you know, how those 90s Bulls teams would, you know, pair up against LeBron and the Lakers. And Jordan's like, I think we'd win. And, and the reporter says, you know, by how much? And he says, oh, two or three points. And he says, two or three points? And Jordan says, well, yeah, we're all pushing 60. Oh, that's good. But what what set of rules are we playing under? Are we playing under modern rules or are we playing under the rules from, you know, 1993? Because it's a hell of a different game now. And I, what's really cool is they're telling the story there of the Lakers and the Celtics. You really begin to see the rest of the league taking shape. That yeah. would be bringing, you know, rain in the boom of the 90s where the game just completely evolved. Uh, there's a little bit of mention of the bulls in there, but you'd seen where Portland was coming on where, well, you know, Portland center trying to get their way in where the rockets were trying to fight in, you know, early on in that 76ers were a team hanging there. They they had captured a championship and went to a couple, uh, no, no, no. But before before shot. Yeah. Uh, they they had kind of the, it was the Sixers. They kind of faded out there right at, right before the mid mark. Uh, but then you'd seen Houston, you, you know, you'd seen Portland make a couple of appearances, but nobody could really get to that level there of the Lakers and the Celtics. And of course, you had the Bulls and the Pistons knocking on the door. One of the biggest, you know, now so much when and we're going to talk about it a little later on as well. It's a little teaser here, you know, race issues and tension inside of sports. And you got to remember back then, one of the first you know, kind of major black versus white stories in the NBA that was major headline as your media is expanding, you get into the world of cable and all these different platforms, these networks, is when I, you know, the, the Celtics beat the Pistons and in a loss, Isaiah comes out and says, yeah, you know, 
Bird's good, but you only call him great because he's white. And it was actually, it was Rodman who said it, but then Isaiah echoed it. And when it came from Isaiah, it, it just took on a life of its own. Yeah, because I, you're, you're, Rodman at that point was just, he was Rodman. He was just the, the guy who went and got rebounds. Like, no, he had not become the worm yet. He was still Dennis Rodman. He had that personality, and, and that's when he was adapting that bad boy personality. But when the leader of that team, when Isaiah comes out and says, I mean, it was to the point he had to go. They took him. He was he went on to the pregame of the finals where he had been beaten in the conference championship. Now he's on there seemingly apologizing or you know trying to reconstruct his words. It got to the point where they had to have a press conference with him and Bird. Yeah. Yeah, no, I remember that. Bird was like fully dressed for the game too. It was literally like right before the game and Bird's just like, I don't give a fuck. I just want to go play basketball. Well, that was his message. He said, if it, it doesn't offend me, it doesn't offend my mother. <laughs> I, I don't have anything else to say. I'm leaving. He was such a good old and he, Indiana you know, and he boy. Out and he laughed about it. You know, what, what else is he going to say here? Well, yeah. But I mean, you just even say, if it doesn't offend my mama, then, you know, whatever. I don't give a shit. Like it's, it's so Indiana farm boy, you know? Oh, French lick. Uh, you bring up Isaiah Thomas and what he meant to the African-American community, especially around Detroit at that time. Let's let's go even a little bit further back and go down to uh, the city of Atlanta. Over the course of the weekend, we lost two absolute Atlanta icons. First, Hammer and Hank Aaron, the home run king. Like I don't don't talk to me about McGuire. Don't talk to me about Sosa. Don't talk to me about Barry Bonds. It's all about Hank Aaron. Um, of course, we never saw Hank Aaron play, but the legend of Hank Aaron was it, it's huge. Even though people don't talk about it, you know what? It, it's very much like that Babe Ruth thing. But people just don't talk about Hank Aaron like they do Babe Ruth. Like you talk about Babe Ruth more often. But the conversation's pretty much the same. Yeah, and it, 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 I kind of had a point here to make that mention of, of Isaiah and be able to transition that into Hank Aaron. And a lot of what you're talking about there, Jargo, is maybe where I, I don't want to say forgotten, but as you said, maybe not as mentioned as often in those conversations. And you really got to believe a lot of it has to do of how he he lived his personal life during his playing days and especially post-baseball. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's not to say, you know, I, I know that he, he was very proud, African-American. He's very proud of what he was able to accomplish, what he could do for his community, for the, you know, their group of individuals. That's, you know, that part of our society but even going back, you know, last week when we were having a conversation about national treasures, and it's about someone that is beloved all around because they don't really push that envelope of controversy where they are more about building bridges instead of burning them. And and Hank Aaron falls perfectly under that umbrella. Well, and I think Larry King does as well. Um, Larry King, you either love the guy or you hated the guy, but I think... Basically, anybody who has been a broadcaster over the course of the last, I don't know, 40 to 50 years absolutely respected the ever-loving hell out of Larry King. Larry King even had his own style. And I, I heard somebody talking about it last night. I don't remember who it was now. But Larry King didn't even want to meet with his guests before the show 
because he wanted that authentic conversation on air. And it was also a really good way for him to not have to do any research because he, he wanted to approach it through the eyes of a viewer. So he wanted to know exactly what everybody else knew going into the interview. So he did zero research for all of his interviews, just assuming that his viewers did not know who the subject that was going to be interviewed was. And Rick, as I think about it, that is fucking insane. There's no way I could possibly begin to do an interview just cold like that. That's a skill all in itself. I was going to say, especially for someone like you, Jargo, and so much what you've taught me and those habits that I've picked up, uh, for any of those out there listening to us, when we have a guest on, uh, hell, when we have a, a topic, a subject, the hours it's like that go days, into man. the research, Jargo, I, you know, I always put you over, especially in the wrestling interviews, if it's you know one of the great legends, you're going to go back to 1984 when they were on their way to a spot show, you know, what they picked, what they picked up at the gas station for lunch that afternoon. You're pulling out. They, they've forgotten about things. I've heard you ask people about matches that they forgot that they've ever even had. PCO. Uh, so <laughs> the, the research that, that goes into that for King. Now, I don't, you know, it does take a tremendous amount of skill and confidence. Ooh. Hey, but hey, a little bit of laziness, right? Get up your ass, old man. Do a little work. <laughs> I know, right? Like, I can just imagine Larry King like pitching that to the Turner executives being like, yeah, I'm not going to do any research. You know, I, I just assume my audience has no idea who I'm interviewing is. So I, I want to interview them just like that. And then to think of some of the people that he has interviewed over the course of the years and how iconic a lot of those interviews have become. That's just absolutely insane. It, it's kind of funny you mention that because this morning I got a little heat from Hameen as he told me, damn, Rick, you're asking me too many fan questions today. <laughs> Nope, just using the Larry King approach. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> it's great. I reason I was, I had forgotten how, how much different the dynamic is when there's only two of you conversating as opposed to having that third person in. So as I laid out my talking points and my notes, uh, you know, I assumed that Beast was going to be there. Unfortunately, he overslept this morning. He's He's been working hard, working like a dog, fingers to the bone. So he needed a, a couple more hours of sleep. Thankfully, when it got to the meat of the conversation where I was really going to lean on him, he the buzzer hit. He came in at number 30 because I was asking him a bunch of Royal Rumble related questions as Beast down at OVW, the Nightmare Rumble last year's the 2020 Nightmare Rumble, my favorite Rumble match of, of the last decade or so. Top three all time. And Beast was the one that booked it. Nice. Very nice. Yes, the psychology of booking a Royal Rumble. It's fun stuff. Very fun stuff. Huckleberry, let's go ahead. Let's start with Trump because that's all anybody inside of the media wants to talk about anymore is Trump. Hell, it got to the point the other day I was asking Carly. I was like, can we get Kylie McEnany back? And she's like, she's not the press secretary anymore. I was like, well, yeah, but if all they're going to do is ask questions about Trump, shouldn't we at least get Trump's press secretary to answer the damn questions? was kind of ridiculous. Trump would draw or at, at least activate his social media so he can actually get some responses directly from the man, right? Right. I don't know. I kind I I think Trump kind of likes it in the dark. I th- I think he kind of likes it maybe in the shadows. You heard all the shadow president conspiracies? I'm Trump man. 
You know, the one, there's only one that really I, I'm putting any credence in. You ever notice that like every time that we see Biden signing an executive order, he's not sitting in the Oval Office at the president's desk. He's at that itty bitty little desk. It looks like it was built for like a four-year-old and there's Biden with like his long legs underneath of it and there's a giant presidential seal on the front of it. Like, why aren't you just sitting at the president's desk? Oh, no, he's maybe, got- maybe he's not the real president. Uh, I did see he was getting, Biden was getting some heat because he removed some military flags from the Oval Office. Well, I, the Oval Office gets redone for every president. It's the media stirring up more shit. And guess what? I got some media shit to stir up. Ready for this one? Here's the hot take of the week. Trump will lead us to socialism. Yeah, it's going to happen. The Russo swerve is in. Are are you ready for this turn? And and this is not hard. This is not Steiner math. Hell, this isn't even Biden math. Got that coming up later. Rick, right now we live in a 50-50 country. Trump is talking about starting his own political party. All that's going to do is split the Republican vote and the Democrats are going to rule everything. If Trump launches this party, it's just going to lead us to socialism because you're going to hand the keys to the Democrats all the way across the board. Like there's not time for this right now. I would say it, it, it's for a couple programs now, a couple of weeks I have a pushing. We are we are witnessing right now the implosion of the Republican Party. The right is going to be redefined as we know it. Uh, is that going to take two to four years? But you are going to. It's going to have a much different look to it as we get into at least I believe the next major election cycle of the you know the 2024 presidency presidency run. And that can be very scary, especially if you are opposed to the major views of the left. But I still believe, I firmly believe that you're also going to see the self-destruction, the implosion of the left. You look at the imbalance and just inside of their own hemisphere, how differently they view things. And you're looking at a, a power struggle going on with inside the own party. They're going to go through the very much the same experiences that the right has. And when you kind of, and I know that they're thinking, yes, you know, the right splits, it's going to be an ultimate power for the left. Well, at that point, they're going to begin turning on each other. Yeah. It's just the amount of time between those two things happening. You know what I mean? That that's going to be where, because it's awful hard. Like the Democrats cannot get along, but if they keep winning and they keep retaining the power, that that's a really good reason to keep, you know, getting along. Well, and you look how you know you go through your history. It just repeats itself. It doesn't even have to be our own U.S. history. You can go to any great empire, those great nations, and follow where you had those splits of power, whether you had those divides in party lines. And it simply is because of that when you grow too big for your own britches and you begin opposing each other in which directions that they should move for. And let's even our own country here at the very beginning, you know, history now will have it believed that, you know, when we won the, the revolution and that everyone rallies behind George Washington. No, our top leaders had a very different vision of what our freedom would look like. And it was some of Washington's top generals that would, didn't see what they believed that, that our Republic should be, and that, you know what they did? They all went and opened 
newspapers and your media slander and your slur campaigns were born in yep. America. Yep. That's how back that's how far back dirty politics goes. Yeah. So so these individuals that act like we've never seen anything like this. Our country is so broken and divided. Uh, the the reality of the situation is this is day one material. You bring up the media and it's amazing that this story is not getting more traction. Uh, so Donald Trump, when he got off of the plane down in Palm Springs, he was talking to some people and he made a comment about the Patriot Party. That's evidently what Trump is looking at using as the label for his uh, his political party is the Patriot Party. He yeah, likes to that, talk about patriots a lot. Uh, that's a really bad idea, uh, yeah, Mr. Whoever, former whoever president. I was going to say, whoever uh, is in charge of uh, the CBO there, you, you might want to jump all over this thing and shut this down before he starts really going public with suggesting that as an idea. Yeah, a very, very bad idea. Let me tell you, this is how the media spin is going to go for that. The White Patriot Party was an American anti-Semitic, anti-Zionist, homophobic, white supremacist, paramilitary political party associated with Christian identity and the KKK. It was led by its founder, Fraser Glenn Miller, through various organizational incarnations. The organization began in the mid-1970s as the Carolina Knights of the Ku Klux Klan, involved in the Greensboro, North Carolina confrontation between Klansmen, Nazis, communists, and left five people dead. The organization then became the Confederate Knights of the KKK in the early 1980s and the White Patriot Party in 1985. But Rick, what I find very, very interesting about this article, as you know, I, I had just typed in Patriot Party and I had done this like a week ago and I found the information about the Patriot Party from the 1960s to the 1980s. I hadn't seen anything about this white Patriot Party. And then I scrolled down to the end of the article and it says this page was last edited on January 22nd, 2021 at 2230. Oh, very. Someone's right on top of it. Put plugging in the information that they want to get out there. Yeah. So I have to research this a little bit more before I'm, you know, officially going to declare it 100% true. But this sure sounds 100% true. The White Patriot Party in in North Carolina. Yeah. Bad idea, Mr. President. Bad, bad idea. They were, they were in Carolina? Yeah. Uh, White Patriot Party. I thought that's what they used to have up there in Boston before Tom left. Well played. Well played. I applaud you on that one, sir. But I had originally heard about the Patriot Party of the 1960s to the 1980s, which ironically enough was actually a socialist party uh, that was actually tied to like the Black Panther Party. Um, and I have known about that one for a very, very long time. You know, so so maybe we're just trying to be diverse. We're going to try to unify the KKK and the Black Panthers underneath of the Trump Party. It's all there. We're all going to be trumpets, and diversity is going to be one of the pillars of the platform. Um, this is an awful idea. I just I, I feel like this is an awful idea. There are a a lot of things that Donald Trump can do at this point to still be involved in what is going on, but actually like formally declaring a political party, let alone calling it the white Patriot party or just the Patriot party or anything having to do with Patriots and party. Um, bad idea, especially for Donald Trump. 
Yeah, I tend to agree at this point. And again, to go back to the idea of of Trump needing to realize and and strategically making his moves in his evolution here uh, of where he can go from here. I mean, I think he could elevate himself to much higher levels. And I know this sounds incredibly crazy. I mean, how do you get much higher being the president of the United States? New but world it, order. Well, but in the, in the wake of the way that everything went down there, I think there's a number of directions he could go that it, that business-wise is going to make much more sense for him. He's going to come out much more successful. And what it, and if he is true in his beliefs of wanting to change the system, wanting to make sure that we maybe we get back to more of a foundation, a traditional American style, I think he can do so much more away from an office than inside of it. Well, the Wall Street Journal is all over it. The Wall Street Journal is posting articles about this left and right. As his presidential term ends, Donald Trump has discussed creating a new independent political party with several close aides, the Wall Street Journal reports. He would call it the Patriot Party, echoing the names and rhetoric of many of the militant far-right groups around the country that support him. It's a good thing that's not biased whatsoever, huh? Um, and, and, and then there's also this uh, speculation from the uh, Washington Post, and this one I might actually be able to buy into. Former President Donald Trump is threatening to create a new political party, which he can use as leverage to pressure senators into not convicting him in the impeachment trial. Basically, in other words, saying um, either you vote to not impeach me or I am going to run somebody from my new political party against you in the state of blank. And we're going to win. We'll win huge. And it's going to be the biggest win that you ever saw. Or I'm going to cry about it. Well, you know, it's, it, I love the game planning there as well. And, and this is the, the believable game plan if you will, inside of this, you know, just to make sure that this doesn't happen here. Still going back as we talked the last few weeks on it. They're not going to get 17 fucking Republicans to flip on Trump. It absolutely inside of this thing as well. It's the legality of it. There's not much, they don't have much to stand on. No. And it's, it's really rather an embarrassment and realizing that they don't have the legal legs to stand on. You're not going to get 17 of them to flip. It almost rather see this thing play out instead of getting squashed as it's going to be more of an embarrassment on the left, on the Democrats for, for rushing into this thing, not waiting for any real evidence, jamming this thing through the system is trying to just get it the wheels in motion before he's out of there. It, Cause really the way this is even written now that he is not the president, you know, the next great debate's going to be, is this even plausible? Yeah, is it even constitutional? Even if you convict him, you know, if he, if he would get convicted, which is not going to happen, immediately Trump and his attorneys are going to appeal that to the Supreme Court, and there's no way the Supreme Court is going to let that decision stand. He is a private it, citizen at this point. He is it, no it longer a sitting says, president. It, it clearly says it cannot happen it can happen to the president. Newsflash, ladies and gentlemen. Joe Biden is the president. Or is he? Well, we got back to the little desk conspiracy. The little desk conspiracy. Possible title for the show right there. The little <laughs> desk conspiracy. 
but of course, now what we have to do is we have to deprogram all the trumpets. I, I'm hearing this term a lot, Rick. Deprogram. And uh, former FBI director John Brennan, yeah, he, he was on uh, a show over the course of the weekend. Here's what Brennan had to say about all the people that we need to have deprogrammed. Have you been a part of a security endeavor as fraught it was as what today must have been? I mean, 13 days ago, Trump directed his supporters to attack the Capitol and the Justice Department is pursuing charges of criminal sedition, possibly even conspiracy. What must the days going forward look like in terms of securing the homeland. We've seen some reporting in the New York Times that the military, because six of the individuals um, who have been charged had ties to the military, the military is going to extra lengths to vet their ranks. Um, QAnon is going to be the uh, target of a um, analysis from incoming DNI. What, what does the security picture look like for this incoming national security team? Well, Nicole, I was thinking today that uh, this is the most relaxed I've been uh, in the course of many inaugurations I've watched because I'm not responsible for it. But I can tell you that when I was in the government, I was I had white knuckles because yeah. of the nature of the threats. But it's so much more difficult today because of what we have seen, not just over the last two weeks, but that certainly has riveted our attention. But because of this growth in polarization in the United States and domestic violence and white supremacist groups. So I know looking forward that the members of the, the Biden team team who have been nominated or have been appointed are now moving in laser-like fashion to try to uncover as much as they can about what looks very similar to insurgency movements that we've seen overseas, mm -hmm. where they germinate in different parts of the country and they gain strength and it brings together an unholy alliance frequently of religious, ex religious extremists, authoritarians, fascists, bigots, uh, racists, nativists, uh, even libertarians. And unfortunately, I think there has been this momentum that has been generated as a result of unfortunately the demagogic rhetoric of people that's just departed government but also those who continue in the halls of congress and so i really do uh, think that the law enforcement homeland security intelligence and even the defense officials are doing everything possible to root out what seems to be a very very serious and insidious threat to our democracy and our republic even libertarians he's gonna throw libertarians in with these people the fuck out of here, John Brennan. Come on. The fuck out. Like, libertarians. Oh, those people. Oh, gotta get rid of them, too. You realize we don't like fucking Trump either, you asshole. Fucking Christ. Let's talk some vaccine stuff, Rick. Um, I, I heard this great interview with a Dr. Lee Merritt, and I have come to find out that Dr. Lee Merritt is based in Omaha, Nebraska, and also does some stuff right across the border here in the state of Iowa. So I believe I am going to send an email to Dr. Lee Merritt and see if we can get Dr. Merritt on the show. Uh, because I certainly have some questions that I would like to ask. Um, I, these are a collection of four short clips that I put together kind of about these vaccines. And Dr. Merritt is, is shouting out exactly what I have been talking about on this show for literally months at this point when it comes to these mRNA vaccines 
Um, Rick, I had sent you all these clips. I know you said that you had a chance to check them out. Before we play them for everybody, what were kind of your thoughts on what Dr. Merritt had to say? Well, again, you know, this this goes back to that openness, uh, not to immediately believe everything that is being shoveled in, in front of you via the manipulated media is to do a little bit of that research. And, and now into the account, we're going to we're going to lay it out here for you. We're, we're doing the homework to give it a good listen. Uh, I got through. I went through them all at least once. I started going back through again. Some of them even listened to three times because there is so much content. Yeah. Yeah, I thought this was just an absolute great collection of clips. Um, and then I got something I want to talk to you about on the other side of the clips regarding this vaccine, too. Doctors like myself, I mean, we had nothing to do. We were shut down. We were sitting at home. And what do we do? Our response is to study. And we learned lots of things. In fact, I found out that we had treatment for viruses probably going back into the 19, late 70s. And so I graduated medical school in 1980. So I'm an old fart. But my son graduated much later, just recently. And he's a general surgeon. And I asked him, I said, have you ever heard in your entire medical education, all the fellowship, all the stuff you're doing, you ever heard we could treat viruses with, with, bio, with these antimicrobial agents? No, he never heard it. Called my friend in Florida, 40-year internal medicine professor, real medicine doctor. He said, you ever heard that we could treat viruses with some kind of antimicrobial agent? No, he never heard that. So this is the biggest lie. I, I tried to publish a paper called that, but they made me change the title to something I can't remember. But it's about the fact that they've lied to us for 40 years about this treatment. So here's the big picture. You don't need, when we talk about vaccines and things, why do we have vaccines? We have vaccines because we didn't have treatment for, small, for smallpox. We didn't, and it was a very deadly disease. That made sense to have a vaccine. We didn't have treatment for um, polio initially, so it made sense to have a vaccine. We actually have a treatment for this that works extremely well. In spite of all the propaganda and the attempts to falsify the medical literature, which they've gotten caught at, and the attempts to dis, dis, just dismiss anything they don't agree with, Oh, we not we have treatment for it, and it really does work. So we don't need. And you'd say, why would they hide treatment? Well, I can come up with two reasons. One is that um, your sixty-nine billion dollar vaccine industry goes to zero if you have an effective treatment for all these viral airborne diseases, right? So mumps, measles, blah blah blah. It might help all of these. We don't know completely yet because they've hit. Yeah, yeah. To be clear, you're talking about things like uh, chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, right? And, and ivermectin. There are probably mm -hmm. others. These are called lysosomotropic agents. Think about this. We have funded a PLA virologist to come and work in our Army bioweapons lab. That is the height of insanity or treason. It went, under the Clinton administration, by the way, it was completely illegal to have non-aligned foreign students. So if you were from Iran or, in, or someplace that was not one of our allies, you couldn't even work in a biology lab that worked with lesser pathogens, you know, any pathogens that could be used as a, as a bioweapon. So, so suddenly we've gone from that stance under the Clinton administration to under the Obama administration, actually funding PLH, Chinese communist virologists to work in our bioweapons lab. It's absolute insanity. But I found out that there are these guys, we have more bioweaponeers than I, than I anticipated. I knew the Soviets had them and they were probably around, but I didn't realize how many were generally in the world. So they can now create another little thing to go on this coronavirus. Now they got the missile technology. They can put whatever they want on there. And every year you'd have to have a different vaccine. So don't think that even if you believe vaccine, this type of vaccine will work, which I don't. Even if you believe that, it's not a permanent solution. What they're doing is programming 
mRNA. And mRNA is a little piece of it's 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 like DNA, but it's the messenger RNA. It's what it's what makes proteins in the body. It's kind of like a computer chip that you put into a a 3D printer, and then it you tell it what you want it to make, and it prints it out. Right? That we have that in in engineering, and this is the biologic equivalent. I make a I make some mRNA, and it tells your body to produce certain things. Well, in this case, what they've done, they've made a, a piece of this mRNA to create in every cell of your body that spike protein, or at least part of it. And that spike protein, you're actually creating the pathogen in your body. There have been four different vaccines and three different animal studies that I know of. In ferrets, in um, uh, what's the other? Cats. Was, cats have a natural thing with the coronavirus. So it's cats and ferrets and I think something else. They started after SARS, they did cats. And then after MERS, they did, which are all coronavirus pathogens that are more deadly. And they, they, after MERS, they tried it in ferrets and something else. And what happened is all the animals died. It wasn't subtle, okay? But they didn't die of the vaccine. What they died from was called immune enhancement or antibody-induced enhancement or antibody-dependent enhancement. They call it ADE now, but it's, it's, it, they used to call it immune enhancement. Here's what happens. They make the RNA, and so you're getting ready with this. They, you get the vaccine, and you do fine. All right. Now you challenge the animal with the virus that you're supposed to be immunizing against. So when they charged, when they challenged those cats with 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 SARS, instead of instead of killing the virus or you know weakening, what they did is your your this stylized immuno response that they built into your system went out and coated the virus. So the virus came into the human the cat's body like a Trojan horse, unseen by the cat's own immune system, and then it replicated without checking and killed the cat with overwhelming sepsis and cardiac failure. And I will make this military point. This is a perfect binary weapon. You, there's no way I know exactly what that mRNA is programmed to, and neither do you and neither do most doctors. The doctors can't get at that data. That's the guys, the guys at the very top of this project, okay? They know, but we don't know. They say it's to the spike protein, but how do we prove it? We don't know. So if I were China and I wanted to take down our military, that's easy. I, I, make, it pro, I make it to a something, a, 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 something I could hook on to this coronavirus, like the spike protein or something else, another protein. And I just, I just make an mRNA to that, but I know it doesn't exist in nature, so nobody's going to die from the vaccine. And then two years later, I release the, the, the whatever it is that I made. You see what I'm saying? The counterpart. And it causes wow. this immune enhancement death. So it's a delayed death. That's what binary poisons are. They're delayed. They're, I give you part one because, you know, I, and then I can walk away and then you accidentally get in contact with part two and die. So, of course, I work in the media and I, I see news about these vaccines and how many vaccines we have given, how many shots we've put into people's arms is the terminology that clearly the memo went out about. Um but Rick, they, they just call it the COVID vaccine. And that really, really bothers me because as we know, there's the Moderna vaccine, there's the Pfizer vaccine. Those are both mRNA vaccines. And then there's also the AstraZeneca vaccine, but they just refer to it as the COVID vaccine. Well, okay, how many of these shots that have been given are the mRNA vaccine? How many of the shots that have been given are the AstraZeneca, the traditional virus-based and then built-up antibodies? And who's checking these people? Because I don't trust Fauci. I don't trust Burks. We know that Fauci is in balls-ass deep in Moderna. 
there's something about this. I just, I really, really don't trust it, man. Well, it's really, it's a dumbing down. It's a generalization as they've already used the, the fear tactics. They've got people scared to death, you know, that they, they need this thing. You've got people scared to death that they don't need this thing, that you don't trust them. And actually, before we went to, to air here, I was actually listening to President Biden, his, his daily address, his, covering a number of items. And during his conversation uh, about COVID, you know, he's putting himself over that, you know, since he's come in, he he doesn't know the exact numbers, but he's seen declines here and there. But they, they, I can they tell still, you why. Let's come back. Remind me about that. I can tell you why. Well, it, it, inside, you know, his, his comments there. It's, you know, he's talked about we, we still need to work on people listening to, to Fauci, listening to these medical professionals when we talk about wearing masks and group gatherings. And it really the, the feeling in my my thought there, honestly, just before we hit record here, it, is it the bigger problem? They are pushing this and, and looking at the people and they're kind of putting a blame on us. Shame on you. That we are in a position where your own people, the people that have elected you, those individuals that you are supposedly working for, have the best interest in your mind for, that you have done us so wrong th- that we don't know what side to trust here, what we can believe coming out here. And you you regularly hear that it's such a sad day in America where the, the people won't listen and, and they're not going along. That's not on the people. That is on a system. That has alienated and let down and lied. It essentially stabbed in the back repeatedly over and over. And that's why you're seeing a backlash. If it's the COVID issues, whatever that might be, it's something as simple as your local government, how they're handling clearing streets for snow. You don't trust anything right now because of what they have done to us at the top level, sir. When it comes to the testing and numbers dropping left and right, um, very much as predicted, when it comes to these PCR tests, and a reminder, basically how a PCR test works, they shove that swab up your nose, they get your DNA, and then they put it in this fancy fucking microscope, and they spin it around. And basically what they're doing is they're amplifying your DNA and looking for any trace of COVID-19. CDC over the course of the last week, lowered the threshold on the cycle count to 27 cycles. At one point, it was up to 35 cycles. So they were amplifying your DNA 35 times to look for COVID, and now they're only amplifying it 27 times to look for COVID. And magically, the numbers have started dropping. Joe Biden has saved us all! Kiss my fucking ass. That's what's going on with the fucking testing. But yeah, but I'm, it's, I'm, still, I'm, it's, it's still going to be a long fight. We're, we're not anywhere in the clear here. We, we have got a long winter. haul ahead of us, but we're going to get it there. We're, we're going to get it there. Uh, I especially love here at the state of Ohio. They extended our curfew regulations for businesses, which really only affect you know your bars and restaurants, nightlife, hospitality kind of based. Everything closes at 10. And our governor, DeWine, he pretty much comes out and in a roundabout way without having to just openly admit his error that they aren't working, that they're not 
they're not bringing down numbers. We're not stopping a spread in any sort of way here. It, it continues to kill small business, and they refuse to take any responsibility in those cases. But we must continue on with these mandates, with these ma- regulations, because we should all now fear super COVID. Super COVID. Is that is that the the strain coming from the UK or the strain coming from South Africa or? I, I think I think this one is re, got released from Dimension X. Dimension uh, so X. The, the mutation is on the way. Krang, the Shredder, they are bringing this all with them here. Need Serum X from Kaiju Mono in order to save everybody. Serum X, great stuff, great stuff. Well, Huckleberry, let's uh, let, let's play a new game. Let's play a new game. I, w- I like to call it Who Did It Better. Of course, you know, we come from the world of professional wrestling, and one of the most famous professional wrestling promos of all time is Steiner Math. That's right, Scotty Steiner, Big Papa Pump. Back in the day, here for those of you who listen to the show, and I know there are a few of you who are not pro wrestling fans, here is Big Papa Pump explaining to you how he has his his percentage, his chance of winning the upcoming match at Sacrifice against Samoa Joe. Scott Steiner, it's going to be a three-way for the TNA heavyweight title at Sacrifice between you, Kurt Angle, and Samoa Joe. Now, before you get there, you have an important step tonight as you and X-Division champion Petey Williams take on the unlikely duo of Kurt Angle and Samoa Joe. You know, they say all men are created equal, but you look at me and you look at Samoa Joe, and you can see that statement is not true. See, normally if you go one-on-one with another wrestler, you got a 50-50 chance of winning. But I'm a genetic freak, and I'm not normal. So you got a 25% at best at beating me. And then you add Kurt Angle to the mix, your chances of winning drastically go down. See, the three-way at sacrifice, you got a 33 and a third chance of winning. But I, I got a 66 and two-thirds chance of winning because Kurt Angle knows he can't beat me, and he's not even going to try. So Samoa Joe, you take your 33 and a third chance, Minus my 25% chance, and you got an eight and a third chance of winning at sacrifice. But then you take my 75% chance of winning, if we used to go one-on-one, and then add 66 and two-thirds percents, I got 141 and two-thirds chance of winning at sacrifice. See, Joe, the numbers don't lie, and they spell disaster for you at sacrifice. See, but I'm going to break it down for you ladies. Would you rather be with me, or would you rather be with Joe? Well, I think Joe's kind of nice. I mean, you know. So you're one of those girls that like romance. I'm going to talk to all my freaks out there. Would you rather come home to me, a genetic freak, to be satisfied every night, or go home to that fat-ass small Joe? See, tonight, we're going to win, and I'm going to be the world champion at sacrifice. Come on, P. Let's go. Scotty, just like you always say, Big Papa Pump has got your hookup. Well, Maple Leaf Muscle is who you need to look up. Holler if you hear that. Yeah, Samoa Joe, Kurt Angle, they don't stand a chance. Scotty Steiner, he's got that shit on lock. Well, Rick, over the course of this weekend, I heard another promo, and it reminded me an awful lot of Steiner math. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Biden math. To date... More than 24 million Americans, 24 million Americans have been infected. To put that in context, 
America makes up 4 percent of the world's population, but 25 percent of the world's confirmed COVID-19 cases and only 20 percent of all the COVID-19 deaths when we have 4 percent of the world's population. The pandemically, the, the pandemic, excuse me, has disproportionately impacted on blacks, Latinos, and Native Americans, who are about four times as likely to be hospitalized and nearly three times more likely to die from the COVID-19 pandemic than white Americans. Rick, at a certain point, I had absolutely no fucking idea what in the hell Joe Biden was talking about, and I don't think he did either. I. Uh, I don't know. You know, all these years later, I, I, I still find the Steiner promo entertaining. It stands up there as one of the awesomely bad classics. Oh, it's one of the greatest promos ever. I mean, come on. Like, in all seriousness, that is a great promo. I don't know if it would, was the intended promo that Scotty had kind of envisioned in his mind, but that shit's going to live forever. But I, I will give it to Biden. Uh, the Scotty thing, after a while, started to make sense to me. Uh, I, I still am completely lost on what Biden was doing there. So, so maybe after a few more years, it'll make sense. But hey, you listen to him during his during his daily press conferences already. He doesn't have these things in front of him. He loses some track of where he's at. But I will give him credit on this. He, he is he's more open now, where he's like he'll even tell you before he says something. I, I could be wrong on this. Really, you think so? Dude? Well, we'll have to get a poll going up on Twitter at, at HTM underscore pod, possibly over at Hameen Media Group, at Hameen Media Group. See who did it better, hashtag Biden math or hashtag Steiner math. Let's go ahead. We'll throw it over to a break from our friends over at Hameen Media. And then Huckleberry, it's the HTM Sports Championship Edition. We'll be right back. Hey guys, it's the Andrew Bello from the Humming Media Group Podcast of the Year, the Wednesday Locker Room, and the former host and founder of the Next Level Wrestling Podcast. It's 2021, and it's time to kick out and leave the past behind us. Humming Media Group starts the year off with over 2.25 million downloads, and our fan base is continuing to grow every day. Thank you for subscribing and sharing all of our channels, podcasts, and videos, and for standing strong with HMG in the face of ongoing censorship. We will always adapt and overcome any obstacles put in our way. We will overcome and certainly achieve even more success in the ever-changing digital landscape. Please make sure you're subscribed to Hacker Hameen and Hameen Media Group on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. Thank you to all of the Patreon.com slash Media Group subscribers, home of the Rip Rogers FR podcast, named by Patreons to be their favorite show on the entire Hameen Media Group network. More content, including marketing and podcasting seminars, watch-alongs from Hameen's career in 2CW, OVW, DCW, and more. When you subscribe to Patreon.com slash Media Group, you are the fuel that drives HMG's free shows for the entire community. We salute you and thank you for your continued support in 2021. We continue our year supported by our daily listeners and our local sponsors, including ProWrestlingTees.com. Get the shirts of all your favorite Hameen Media Group wrestling personalities and support them directly. Greek God Papadon, Stevie Richards, Chris Silvio, SEG Shirts for Big Sal, and of course, 
Phenomen. Yalla. Also, check out ZordosOliveOil.com. Make a healthy choice for 2021 when you cook with Zordos Ultra Premium Artisanal Olive Oil imported directly from Greece. Visit ZordosOliveOil.com today and taste the difference of an ultra premium product for yourself. And wake up, bro. It's time to get the official Vince Russo Bro Coffee. Kick the day off right, bro, with a cup of Broaster's Coffee. The exclusive limited edition Vince Russo Bro Coffee is a medium roasted Nicaraguan blend with chocolatey notes and a smooth finish that will have you up and ready to go, bro. Order yours exclusively at thebroasters.com. And it's 2021, and the Hameen Media Group staff are all committed to Stevie Richards Fitness this year and getting ourselves into the best shape we've ever been in. You've seen Big Ray's amazing transformation, and there are plenty of SRF members interacting right now, motivating each other for the new year. So don't worry about gyms and lockdowns. Let's get in shape together, using our community for support and Stevie Richards Fitness to achieve our goals for 2021. Join us and visit StevieRichardsFitness.com for the most affordable and effective home workout program that will give you results, real results. 12 and 16 week resistant band programs are available for instant download now at StevieRichards.com and RussoBrand.com where the pros are pros, bro. Hear the most valid opinions in wrestling from the pros who live it. No other podcasting platform and online wrestling punditry has the lineup of wrestling stars like RussoBrand.com. Stevie Richards, Disco Inferno, Shane Douglas, Just Incredible, Big Vito, Stevie Ray, Taylor Hendricks, Ben Hameen. And now there's even more shows on the way with a partnership with the two-man power trip. Why would you go anywhere else but RussoBrand.com? We thank you for listening and being an incredible community of wrestling-addicted, conspiracy-minded, straight-brim hat-wearing infidels. By the way, Bin Hameen wrote this copy, and I'm currently in a basement being held at gunpoint. He's already shot Adler's twice, and I hope this is the correct style of intro he was looking for. So enjoy the show, HMG listeners. Please, for the love of Stevie, enjoy the show. Shout out to Bello. Huckleberry, you talked to Bello? Bello doing okay? He's not cutting himself like a little emo kid sitting in his MAGA apartment, is he? I think uh, Bello and his loose affiliation with a, a few programs out there, I hope he, he knows he, he helps produce the uh, right opinion. Uh, so it, he's got an outlet. And if you want a positive outlet, beyond Jargo and I, what we're bringing to you here. Wait, with we're the, the a positive outlet? Says, we're bringing you facts and stats, baby, right? Well, we we are mind-stimulating media as opposed to the manipulated media that you're going to get everywhere else. But you're also going to get that. You're going to get that with the right opinion, as well as all the other incredible shows over on the affiliate channel. I mean, mediagroup.podbean.com. You know, you can if you just want to just really escape everything, you you can head to what other galaxies with with, with Star Trek and Star Wars. One of those you is can awesome. Go, you can go down to South Park. Suck my balls. You've got the war on morons. Uh, so much going on over there. Tons of stuff going on over at Hameen Media Group. Uh, if, if you want to just get away from the reality of horror that we're living in, you can go to the cinematic world of horror with the horror junkyard. Yeah, man. We got, we got everything on lock over there, man. Absolutely. Uh, l- let's talk some championship edition sports. 
um, and, and start with somebody who's never won a championship, never sniffed a championship. Hell, I'm not even sure that they've let him look at the championship. And that's Matt Stafford. Uh, over the course of the weekend, the news came out that Matt Stafford and the Detroit Lions are uh, parting ways. Rick, what do you think? I, I, I think there's a couple pretty logical landing spots for Stafford. Where, what do you think? Where does Stafford fit in in 2021? Because this is not as easy as you would think. I mean, you're talking about an aged quarterback who's who's been through a ton of injuries. Hell, at one point, he broke his freaking back. Plus, he carries a pretty good uh, market change when it comes to the salary cap. Finding a spot for Matt Stafford is kind of difficult in 2021. Yeah, uh, agreed uh, that they, they will part ways. And I, I think you laid it out there perfectly. This would have been a perfect situation had it happened probably four years ago for him. Right. I, I think he's only 32, but he is an old ass 32. You know, there, there is a different, you know, a 32. You look at someone who has been protected, who had a tremendous system as we're going to talk about Tom Brady, what he's doing at what 43 as opposed to, you know, if you get into a franchise like that where you are just beaten down, not just physically, but mentally. Right. How the fatigue and the drain, mental drain from just game to game, season to season, that wears on you when, when you're representing a franchise like the Detroit Lions. Yeah, like and Joe Burrow looking into his future right now, you know? Essentially, it, that, that could be a, a perfect Example. Well, you look at someone that came out with with tremendous skill set, who did see some success in the league. I mean, nothing over the top, but you can even tell it where he's at in his career now is an Andy Dalton. Yeah, and, and because he had to go through that as a Cincinnati Bengal, you're talking Dalton, who's had some of the greatest success of any quarterbacks in the franchise history here in Cincinnati. But still, just the physical and mental drain of being a part of a franchise like that for so long, you really got to wonder how much is left in the tank. I would say for, Staff- for Stafford, this next year will be very telling. If if he can land somewhere that's going to give him some possibility to get out there and contribute to show that he's still got a little bit left in the tank, I think he has a, a good run left in him. And in the way this league is now, you have got the upper echelon. And then it seems like there is a large gap between those select few quarterbacks and the rest of this league. So there are plenty of spots out there for someone to find success. So where do you see Matthew Stafford suiting up next season? Because even the list of teams that need a quarterback, it's a pretty short list. And it seems the popular pick that I'm hearing is Indianapolis, um, which I guess he would be going back to another dome. I could see that, but I, I kind of question that from Indianapolis's perspective. I mean, you just kind of went through this experiment with Phillip Rivers, and now you're doing it again. And at a certain point, you got to just draft your quarterback of the future. Because I, what do you got out of Stafford? Maybe three, four years, maybe. Well, I think, and that's exactly where I was going to go with the direction. If you're a team out there that's interested in bringing in Stafford, isn't that kind of your goal? You can go get a quarterback of the future and take your time grooming them for the NFL? Well, the problem is 
the more time you spend grooming that quarterback, the less time you have with that quarterback under contract to where you can overpay at other positions to open up that window. You, you know what I mean? I mean, in the modern day NFL, one of the big secrets, and we're going to talk about this with Kansas City, you get these quarterbacks under that rookie deal and suddenly you can overpay for offensive linemen and put together a killer offensive line. Then suddenly, you know, you start paying your quarterback $100 million and out of that $100 million, you got to let go of a left guard. You got to let go of a right tackle in order to pay that freaking quarterback. You know, so I, I think that's part of the reason that the whole Aaron Rodgers, the way he sat behind Brett Favre, you just don't see that in the modern day context. Well, I think you, I think there is a middle ground there where you don't need to throw someone in as you've seen a, a Burrow this year and the workload and really the responsibility that was put on such a, a young franchise player so early and ultimately backfired on the Bengals. I think there is a middle ground where – how long did Rodgers sit? Was it two years? Two years behind Favre. Okay. Well, I'll go back to uh, to reference the Bengals here because I saw this thing so closely back in the day is when Marvin Lewis, when they went out and got Carson Palmer. Before he was drafted, it was stated, we're taking him. We have a very nice deal for him on the table. He will not take a snap this first year. And you had somebody like Kitna sitting there. Who it, it was? He was given the keys to the kingdom. It was his team for that year. Carson sat just for that year, knowing year two, no matter what the circumstance. Y'all could have taken this team to the Super Bowl if he could afford all those tickets, but there was no way that Carson Palmer wasn't going to start that second year. See, uh, but think- now by now, year two is like week six. I mean, in twenty twenty one. I also think that you it has to be on. You have to assess the situation per team, per player. The Colts are going to be drafting rather high or down in the draft as they are. They were a a playoff contender. Right. So you're looking at them in, you know, that 20 to 32 range. Or what it now with the with the expansion, 18 to 32, right? Okay. Uh, So let me ask you this, just as your phone's going nuts. That way I can edit your phone out. Let me ask you this. Um, would you rather have right now, would you rather have Matt Stafford or Sam Darnold? Two quarterbacks who appear to probably be on the move this year. And I think you're going to have to look. You have to assess who am I? What team am I? Yeah, that's true. Am I built to win now or that's true. That's valid. Right. So are you built now? Or are you trying to move? Where are you at in the draft? Where are you built? It's again, each situation is so different. And it's going to take the right fit for one of these teams to come in here. Or you talk about a trade because there's a lot of talk that Deshaun Watson is not going to be a Houston Texan next year. Well, you you have that there. If you could maybe swap out something along those lines. Hey, I'll, I'll even go. I'll even go here. As I'm talking about giving someone an opportunity to to learn a system, to sit back and learn to you know transition from college to the NFL, I don't believe that Jacksonville Jaguars are in any way, shape, or form ready 
to run Trevor Lawrence out there week one. Oh, he starts I don't, week one. I, I, I get that, but I would have the conversation. I don't believe it's in the best interest for the player or for this franchise. Oh, I, I agree I, on that. Uh, but uh, again, it's going to come down to what other offseason moves they make. I mean, they're sitting in a honeypot of cap space. Well, and especially they're, with Urban Meyer coming in. Yes. Uh, I mean, you've got all the appeal down there, but again, you know, maybe maybe there is enough around that that you do sit back unless you can go out there and assure that you have completely flipped that team, but they, they are sitting in a honeypot for with their cap room. Now, or if you're the Jets, are you going to go get somebody, you know, else for that quarterback role or do you ride it out? So, I mean, that could be a spot where you do one of maybe someone that's been there a little bit longer that is a little more gritty for you to come in. Uh, it's just, again, each situation is going to be a little different. All these teams, I just think of Matt Stafford. Yay, I finally got out of Detroit. Wait, I got to go play for the Jets? Fuck my life, you know? And, and you, the weather's no better and you don't even have your dome. Yeah, right? Maybe Houston? Hey, I, I will say a little uh, interesting. We, we were talking about the Colts. Old McAfee was up on uh, on his show this morning, pimping out Aaron Rodgers to the Colts. Oh, please, please, please! Of course, a lot of it's going to depend on head coaches. There's still a few uh, head coaching vacancies that are open, but mostly this year, just like every other year, it's just a bunch of old white guys. Yep, that's it. That's the all that gets hired in the NFL. Um, so Rick, of course, we, we got to talk about the Rooney rule, the NFL policy requiring every team with a head coaching vacancy to interview at least one or more diverse candidates, yet they're still not getting hired because the Rooney rule is kind of bullshit. Um, as I was looking through the list of all the coaching vacancies, everybody that was getting interviews, um, I think Eric B uh, in Kansas City. Now, it sounds like he might get a head coaching gig. It sounds like Houston might be interested in bringing in Eric Bieniemy. They have not hired a head coach as of yet. Um, but it seems like he is the guy that they're just using to fill the Rooney rule at this point. It looks like he must have interviewed with about 10 different teams about their coaching vacancy. And everybody in the NFL just acknowledges that Eric Bieniemy should have been a head coach probably two to three years ago. Uh, which is another conversation to have about Patrick Mahomes and where he's going to be going forward, assuming he loses his offensive coordinator. Well, well, everybody except for the 32 owners. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it, Eric Bieniemy does have a, a bit of a history. He does have a, a few legal problems over the courses of the years, like getting a DUI, punching out a couple of teammates, you know, when he, he was a player. Uh, but what, I call that a good weekend. Well, and and, you know, Part of my thing is like, dude, you're hiring him to be a football coach. Like, do, do, do you think all football coaches are like fucking saints? I mean, let me tell you about my defensive coordinator in high school. Fucking Christ. You go back to, and you look at some of like the most classic coaches, some of the most hard nosed, just mean sons of bitches. Right? We're talking about a game built on violence. This isn't lollipop soccer. Yeah, but the. There's all kinds of talk about, oh, I don't know, but his rap sheet. And I'm like, I'm looking at it and I'm like, what rap sheet? Like, you make it sound like he fucking murdered somebody. He got a DUI once. Uh, actually, in most cases, you can actually, the rap sheet for a murder is seemingly less than a DUI. No fucking it, shit. And how, how it haunts you and stays with you anymore. Uh, you know, if I'm building the franchise, 
I don't care if I just kind of see that on the resume. I I don't even care about the color at that point. I kind of want that coach, but but I will openly admit I would go in there and run a franchise. I want that old Raiders vibe. I want those bad boy Detroit Piston vibe. Uh, give me the U over the Catholics. Give me the convicts over the Catholics. That's that's what I want. I want that fire. I want that energy. It's football. But, you know, like the, the the new head coach up there in Detroit, who no one had heard of, uh, white guy, but he was uh, seemingly no one had heard his name mentioned in any circles for these jobs. An under coach for the Colts. He goes gets that job, but he went in there with some fire. He thought about, hey, we're gonna we're gonna make people bleed. We're gonna bust some skulls. We're here to play football. We're here to hurt people, and he's getting blasted for that. You know, and there's like, oh, it's football. <laughs> Fucking crap! Let him play football. I, I think what's what's really interesting is you talk about uh, the enemy going through this process just repeatedly over and over. I want to get to a point where you know he begins turning down. These interviews, uh, simply for the case, Don't going back to the Monday, black guy to interview. Uh, I, mean, I, I know. That's I mean, just become. I. Well, going going back to the Monday locker room this morning, and we were talking about the pitch when you know now the news is out there everywhere that WWE Network has been sold in America to the Peacock streaming service. Uh, And that's one bill for five years, another good chunk of change, one hell of a sell job by Vince McMahon and company. And I was asking Ben, who's been involved in those processes negotiating with networks. And, you know, just recently him, Stevie and and Mr. Russo going and saying they, they would like to be like a third party representative for Fox between WWE. And even with the conspiracy horsemen, pitching trying to get picked up for you know pilot episodes things like that and i had asked him when did it hit you that you were just getting the runaround as every meeting becomes the same you're, you're talking to these yes men it's the same questions we'd love to have you this is going to be a perfect fit and you don't see it you pan out and it continues each and every interview just becomes more and more the same old same old but growingly big pile of shit you have to believe for somebody like the enemy you're getting to that point Hell, you just had, you know, last year, again, it seems that every year when we get this coaching carousel going on, this is becoming a growing, growing issue where you're right, Jarko. I don't know if it's not necessarily that they're not getting the jobs is the problem, but it's the Rooney rule that ultimately is the problem. They, hell, they, they were running out. They were running out Marvin Lewis for interviews last year right. just so they could hit the quota. Yeah. And, and that's all it is, is. It's about fulfilling the diversity quota. And I don't know what the answer is. That's the problem. I, you're trying to convince old white guys to hire young black kids. And it's just. Well, I mean, not hire young black kids. You're, you're getting, you're asking them to hire black men. Uh, I, them, I know these guys to, are. To the old white guys, a 40 year old black man is a kid. Uh, I could see that. And that's just that stigma. It's, that's how it's you know it's built the into mindset. their mind. And you, you I'm sorry, these... you're you're not going to get those fucking 85, 90-year-old white men to embrace your woke culture. It's just not going to happen. Okay, you know, this kind of ties in, you know, where I regularly beat that drum of I am so sick of and I want to see that old mentality of the NFL draft go away. I, I think it's outlived its purpose. I think you should have an open market where you are creating desirable workplaces. 
And, and we have salary caps in place that are kind of prevent, you know, overloading teams or all the talent. Like we see the super teams inside of baseball or the NBA because of they have their different structures. I think the NFL is the way they're set up. It has that safety net to prevent those certain things. Let's go a little bit. Let's go one step further here. Let's look at a deeper issue inside of those old philosophies of the NFL. And it's not at the head coaching position. It's at the ownership position. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's look at not just the race of the owners. Let's look at that age, where, where they are coming from, what those upbrings, what other businesses are they involved in? And I mean, people think that I, I sound ridiculous when I say this, but I mean, really think about it. Let, let's think about your grandparents. All right. Are you going to change their mind about the way society should operate at this point? They are 85, 90 years old. They don't give a fuck. They don't give a fuck about your opinion about a goddamn thing, especially when you're telling them how to spend their fucking money. Which is the last thing. They, they look around at the world now and they're so fed up with all these government assistant programs where they believe their money is going from that they never had. That they had, in most cases, they had to, to scrap and fight their entire lives just to get a little bit ahead. And now, you know, it's like, let's say they have a show. Let's, we'll even remove these over-the-top, beyond-rich franchise owners. But just it, just that the general people inside of that age group, uh, God rest her soul, my grandmother just passed away. One of her favorite things to do was to tell me about glory days gone by, you know, growing up in Tennessee, having to work the land, not, you know, not all these different outlandish experiences because you were so focused on just surviving, getting by each and every day. And then as she had to move to a city. Uh, as the, you know, the jobs kind of dried up there. The, there wasn't so much in the rural and the farming, so they had to, you know, they had to grow. They had to incorporate themselves into that major city life. She goes to work in the hospitals. You know, she she's cleaning lady there, and to work every, and then what she believed in paying the social security. It's always going to be here for you. We're going to take care of you, and then to be totally screwed and dumped on at the end of that, where you know, thank God for savings and family and all that. It, at that point, she was only getting like twelve hundred dollars a month. Now, how in the hell? No, no, it is your responsibility to explain to that person because we all have that person in our lives that fits that very description. Explain to them the conversation going on around pronouns on the fucking house floor. That you can't say a man or a woman or a father or a mother or a son, or a daughter, because you're assuming somebody's gender. Those people don't give a fuck about this shit. And and this is the difference between the NFL and the NBA. You look at the NBA owners, they are significantly younger than the NFL owners. And the NBA is a much more woke league. That's no coincidence. You even look at you. You follow that paper trail. Follow the money trail. You look at the NBA owners. Look what other business ventures they're invested in. They're, they're more modern. They're more progressive. Where you, you go to the NFL, just and Dallas it's old money. alone. Mark Cuban versus Jerry Jones. Can you get two more different fucking personalities than Mark Cuban and Jerry Jones? 
Apples and oranges, man. Apples and oranges. Hey, what we've got here in Cincinnati, the Brown family. Mike Brown still goes, lives very much by the philosophies of his father, Paul Brown, who, you know, was a coach up until, you know, he was still alive in this with this team just for a few decades ago in the 80s. Even till his dying day, he didn't think that the, that the players should be paid. <laughs> it, it, it was a privilege. It was a privilege for them. Oh, then, to be able to go out there and suit up and play the game of football. Not for the Bengals, it's not. Uh, hey, I would be the one of the first ones to tell you it's you know representing the city. I'm, I'm proud of the city. I, I love, I love that I represent. I love that I'm born and raised in Cincinnati. I love the entire state of Ohio. But as a league. The NFL should have stepped in a long time ago and taken this team from the Browns, from the Brown family. Like the Donald Sterling thing for the Clippers. Well, I mean, not to that extent. I mean, they haven't done anything that terrible. No, but I but mean, where, where the league just stepped in and said, yeah, you can't do that anymore. You're done. You're out. Right. Right. And it's, it's well, it's just to the point where you're not creating a desirable workplace. You are, you're not competitive in that nature inside of this field. And as a league, we need to keep evolving. We need to keep growing here. I, I know you're never going to see major changes like that, but they have got to get into a system where it starts at the top in this league. I don't know how many years that Goodell has left. Maybe that's it. Maybe you change the face of the commissioner's office. Uh, you're going to need a major major overhaul. And more importantly, not so much just inside the, the NFL. It's to continue to grow your sport. Football is already facing major issues with concussion scares right. and long-term health issues. You, you see it where these younger kids, their parents aren't letting them play. And that's right through high school. They're turning away from this game. And just inside of just the health risk that we're seeing here, you just ultimately, you begin alienating these different, different races and personalities simply because of your old school mentality, you're going to kill your game. You know, it, it's interesting that you bring up Goodell because, again, I think of the the contrast between the NFL and the NBA. Look at Adam Silver versus Roger Goodell. You know, just just the personality. absolutely, it's crazy, crazy. <laughs> then, you, then you got poor Major League Baseball, wherever no one cares anymore. Yeah, nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares. Uh, let, let, let's talk some Super Bowl stuff um, because one thing is really, really bothering me. It's really bothering me. We'll talk about when we talk to, about Tampa. But I guess the first question is, Rick, did the two best teams win yesterday? We know any given Sunday, the the the, the underdog can absolutely topple the favorite. Do you feel like Super Bowl 55, we're getting the two best teams that the NFL had to put out in this very, very strange COVID season? I believe five out of five games, Kansas City beats Buffalo Bills. Yeah. Uh, I believe in the AFC, we we do have the best representative. Uh, on the other side of it, if you had to play a five-game series, I believe the Packers would win that series. But are they the best team? Because we got to talk about situations. And I, I think as much as we, t- you know, we talked, we both were in agreement last week and over the last couple of weeks that this was Green Bay's to win, that they looked so impressive late into the season. They were clicking on all cylinders. It just seemed to be grooving for them. I wonder if the mystique, their history was what got in their own way. 
you know, coming into this, I, I didn't expect him to come out that flat. It, it was almost, you know, at any point when it was a close game, they turned into a different team. It was almost panic mode where you're a, opposed to, and maybe that's not the the nature of the culture in Tampa, but it certainly is now because you have those leaders like that. You you have somebody, and maybe we shouldn't just be applauding Tom, but he is the focal point there. But even Gronk, Antonio Brown, those are people that have been there and done that. They have put they, that the reason you bring in that important leadership is when you find yourself in positions like this. You're in the NFC Championship game. It, it's a make or break. It's an attitude. How you're going to go in there? How you're going to deliver? You do not fold. You do not buckle any sorts of pressure. And you have to wonder on the other side of that, knowing one and three going in, or were they one and four going in? One and three. One and three with 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 Rodgers. He's now one and four. And and you hear that everywhere. And and you you like to think of a professional. You're trying your best to block that out. Sometimes it gets to you. And you could really tell going back to the dejected look on Ben's face when the Browns knocked them out. Very similar feeling and vibe there from Rodgers as you looked into his eyes in that postgame. It was it was kind of a weird game. It was very much the tale of two halves. Uh, the, the the first half of that game yesterday was incredible, and then the second half got sloppy and it got a, a bit messy on both sides of the ball for both teams. Uh, but that first half, it was like holy shit! This is going to be two heavyweights out there just slugging it out. Brady said he wanted a shootout. I want to get into a shootout with Aaron Rodgers. Nobody says that. But, I mean, just saying that in public, you know that defense is going to get that in their head. And I couldn't help but wonder, and I had sent this to you, how much of this is intimidation? You're facing Tom Brady in the NFC Championship. And Tom Brady's been in the league for 19 years. There's some of these kids are only like, you know, 22, 23. They've spent their entire lives watching Tom Brady go out and win these games. And that Green Bay defense just seemed like they were on their heels from the very jump of the game. I, it was a, a funny meme ESPN had put out there. When Tom Brady won his first Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes was in kindergarten. Think about that. That's insane. And now, and now in two weeks, they're set to square off in the Super Bowl. And stop. Just stop. I, I have heard the Patrick Mahomes. If Patrick Mahomes can beat Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, it's going to be a passing of the torch moment. And, you know, maybe Mahomes can. He He's going to be the guy that can give Brady a run for that greatest of all. Stop. Patrick Mahomes is not even close to the greatest of all time conversation. Can he win at least two? I mean, hell, can he win four before we even start talking about him in the same breath as Tom Brady? Tom Brady won his 33rd playoff game yesterday. 33 wins in the playoffs. He's 33 and 11. Joe Montana's number two. He's got 16 playoff wins. Tom Brady has 33. 19 seasons, 14 championship games, his 10th fucking Super Bowl. Tom Brady's played in like 20% of all the Super Bowls. I, 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 can't remember. I heard a stat on one of the shows this morning that he's like, for his career with Tom Brady, it's like a 47% chance you're going to a Super Bowl. It's insane. It's in that first half yesterday. 
He looked absolutely incredible. There were like three or four throws that were just perfect. Just absolutely perfect. He finishes the game 20 of 36, three touchdowns, three interceptions. Two of those three interceptions should have been caught. Like, let's stop ripping on Tom Brady for throwing three interceptions. He can't make Mike Evans catch the fucking football. Jesus Christ, right off of his goddamn hands twice. Scotty Miller, the touchdown right before halftime, um, was like one of the most beautiful Tom Brady throws I think I've ever seen in my life. My only question is why in the hell was Green Bay playing man-to-man in that situation? Why were they not playing zone on Scotty Miller on the outside? That makes no sense to me. As soon as that play happened, I felt like that game was over. I think, you know, a lot, even, you know, by their own admission, listening to the postgame and interviews over the evening through the day, it seems like there is a lot in the minds of the Green Bay coaching staff that they had wished they had done differently. You know, everyone's really harping on not going for it on fourth and opting to kick that field goal. It's one of those things in that moment, if it would play out for you, it, it, those are those tough decisions that you have to make. I feel like that decision was made when they decided earlier in the game they were going to go for two and missed it. Kind of put it on the back burner. Okay, but when we get back, if we get into this thing here, get another opportunity. Let's try to get close. Take let's see if we get a, see if we get a defense. And that's you know that's what their goal. That's the process in their mind. It's you know a lot of people are saying why would you give the ball to Rodgers? Why would you take it out of his hand? Well, you know their thought process is. We want to put it in his hand with do or die with no time left. We don't want to give Brady an opportunity. You give with him one more six drive. seconds and he throws a 50 yard bomb to Scotty Miller. <laughs> because you, like a bunch of fucking morons, are playing man to man against the greatest of all fucking time with six seconds on the clock. He only needed five. Absolutely. I, it's just one of those calls that you go back and they're, they probably have watched that film back and back and back. I guess the most important, you know, now you've got two teams moving on as we're going to get into a lot of Super Bowl coverage next week in, in HTM Sports. Where do you go, though, if you're the Packers and the Bills? I mean, and how these teams approach going forward, I think it's so di- it's so different, which makes an incredible dynamic for conversation. It, is, it just hurts. This is a terrible loss. You look at the Bills, they're young. You believe that they're going to be back in a situation. But there are no guarantees. Right. I mean, uh, you, you look, look at a year Rogers. ago. Yes. I, I mean, hell, you look a year ago, the Tennessee Titans probably believe that they would be sitting, you know, having this opportunity again here. They barely get into the playoffs and eliminated at home in the first round. Yeah, look at Baltimore. You know, uh, Aaron Rodgers now 11 and 9 in the playoffs, 1 and 4 in NFC championship games. Um, I think that's a conversation that people are going to start having as well. Um, I I felt like the biggest thing for Green Bay was when Aaron Jones got hurt. Aaron Jones finishes six carries for only 27 yards. He did not play at all in the second half, and that completely changes that Green Bay offense when he is not in there. That's not an excuse. That's just reality. When they can't run the football, it completely changes that offense. Breaks of the game. Yep, exactly. That's, That's just the way the shit happens. Let's talk about Kansas City and Buffalo. You know, even at 9 nothing, I didn't see anybody respond with the Chiefs are in trouble. 
I, I, I feel like everybody knew the Chiefs were going to win this game. Buffalo, thank you for coming. But you're, you're just not in the same league as Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Mahomes goes 29, 38, 325 yards, three touchdowns. Patrick Mahomes doing Patrick Mahomes things. Tyreek Hill goes out, nine receptions for 172 yards, which is a ridiculous stat line. Travis Kelsey, who is going to finish as one of the top, you know, five tight ends of all time, 13 receptions for an 118 yards. Thanks for coming, Buffalo. It's not, it's not on you. You're just not in Kansas City's league. And don't feel bad because neither is anybody else. Well, I, I think, again, you talk about disappointment in that situation. They have to remain optimistic as they continue to grow forward. Talked about this last week in, in previewing this game. Very good Buffalo team. They're just not to that elite status yet. No. They still have a ways to grow. I think they're still a year or two away, but they have to really realize that and remain focused there. I mean, it's just to get to these championship games, let alone to get over that hump and just to go to a Super Bowl. Look how incredibly difficult that is. I mean, unless you're Tom Brady. <laughs> so they, I mean, they have to stay focused. They, they have to stay focused, continue to improve. Do not become complacent. Your schedules are going to remain getting tougher. Your division is going to, the rest of those teams outside of the Jets seem like they are going to continue to get tougher each and every day. Now, you now inside of the AFCs, you're the one with that target on your back. You're one of those that are going to be looking for high seeds in the AFC playoffs. So, I mean, it changes your complete dynamic. You need to realize that. If New England would like go out and get somebody like a Matthew Stafford, which is oh, we forgot to mention that that is a, a destination that was uh, potentially mentioned for him. So, and, and Miami's doing good things; they're improving all around, despite the issues that they seem to be having at quarterback. And then there's so, the Jets. And then there's the Jets. So at <laughs> least you have that. At least you have that. Uh, you, you have three buys a year. You have your at off week in the, the Jets. Jets. Yeah. yeah, so you have that, but you, you're inside of the AFC. You know, you're going to be looking for a high seed. You got to realize that you got to continue to get better. Do not be complacent if you want to continue to climb that mountain and get to that stratosphere that you have the Kansas City Chiefs in. But yes, the inside of the AFC, there is the Kansas City Chiefs. There is everybody else. We're opposed to the NFC, even with Tampa, an incredible run playing incredible football, road warriors, just so they can make history and go home for a Super Bowl. That's the thing that's pissing me off. They're not going to let them shoot the cannons. I don't think you should have an unless it was already. If they would have had that plan in the show. I mean, you got to believe they're going to be incorporated subway. How can you have the Super Bowl there without that? But I mean, I wouldn't do it for their. It touchdowns has to be a thing. neutral field. I Fuck get you. That. They're playing at home. They no, earned no, no, no. that I, I shit. I I wouldn't do that for for like their touchdowns, but you still have to have that as part of the presentation. I mean, you're at a freaking stadium with cannons. You're, you're got playing a pirate, a pirate ship, ship in the end zone, for Christ's yeah. sake. Shoot it off for every touchdown. Fuck. Who do you think? I, I, I mean, I clearly the smart money is on Kansas City. Um, Kansas City opens plus three. Rick, I, I, I feel like... I, I don't know what it is, but that front seven for Tampa Bay yesterday, they were all over Aaron Rodgers like stink on shit. Nobody got to Aaron Rodgers like that all season. Patrick Mahomes is battling this damn turf toe thing, which sounds just absolutely awful. 
if he can't run around the way that he typically runs around and that Tampa front seven can get to Mahomes, how do you bet against Tom Brady in the Super Bowl? Uh, it's a hard bet, but you 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 bring this up every week, Jargo. And what does Mahomes go out there and do? I'm just just saying. You, you had talked about how no one had really felt that the Chiefs were in trouble. You know what it's comparable to? When, when you're growing up and you're playing backyard hoops against your little sister and you're playing the 10 and you spot her nine and you still know you're going to win the game. Yeah, that's really how it that, That's what it was. It's I think you know it, it's going to be incredibly difficult to bet against the Kansas City Chiefs here. But again, that's exactly what Tampa Bay wants. That's exactly what Brady wants. It's gonna it's gonna fuel fuel the ego. You're gonna make Tom Brady a dog in the Super Bowl and he's playing at home. <laughs> like this just does not seem very smart to me to bet against the GOAT. I'm still I'm still interested in your pitch last week. History being made here, the first time ever that a team has got home field playing at home inside a Super Bowl. Brady without Belichick on the move. Only the fourth quarterback, I I believe, to start Super Bowls for two different teams. If he can win this thing, does he walk? What is left? If he wins this thing, what is left? Because right now it's win one without Bill. I mean that that's the thing. That's that driving force, right? And even if he even if he walks here, they're still going to be erecting statues, monuments in his name down there in Tampa. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially if they can win. My God. I'll tell you what, in this in this passing passing of the torch garbage, uh people that are looking for uh, like that that huge, that memorable moment with the embrace after the game or something like that. Not uh, happening, no. bro. All all that's gonna do is get Patrick Mahomes on Tom Brady's shit list. Yep. Yep. Go go back and and well, you call up uh, <laughs> call up Foles today and see if he gets a Christmas card from Brady. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, there was that documentary a couple of years ago. It was all just like short episodes called Tom versus Time. And I mean, just watching that, you get a whole newfound respect for Tom Brady. And even just watching Tom Brady watch film. And the way he watches film and trying to get into that brain just a little bit, absolutely insane. Because he's better than you, and you know it. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. If you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Then visit us on the platform that you may not be listening to, whether it be the HTM Podcast Network online, hittingthemarks.com, Hameen Media online, hackerhameen.podbean.com, and Hameen Media Group. .podbean.com You can check out uh, my, my latest project uh, There's a whole new episode of Destino A New Japan Pro Wrestling Podcast It's called The Great Reset We uh, we kind of sit down I sit down with uh, two different co-hosts We go through uh, stardom and what they've got going on In 2021, try to get you interested In stardom if you want to jump in And then we kind of did the same thing With myself and the GAG From the PWC, the one and only The man Jimmy T We sat down and uh, we we did the same thing with New Japan, kind of a a great reset. 
of where they're heading for in 2021. You can find that at DestinoPod.com. Huckleberry, what do you got going on for the rest of this week? Uh, all sorts of, uh, of goodness going on for the RBV. Of course, uh, you can keep up with everything I've got on social media at The Real RBV. But hey, it is uh, Cincinnati Wing Week. You know what that means. The, the road show is ready to go. It's RBV Eats Out. Keep your eyes and ears open for that across social media. Uh, of course, we, we've got the kind of an off week for, for sports. No, none of the heavy hitters, but we're still going to come at you with a new episode of the Bottom Line Sportsbook. We're gonna we're really going to dive into prop bets for the Super Bowl and all the, the f- different fun ways that you can enjoy the game if you're not just interested in, in the score and the, you know, the over-under. Uh, there's a lot of fun to be had, so we're, we're going to have a little fun there. Hey, and we're also going to talk betting the Royal Rumble. I was just going to ask you who the favorites were for the Rumble this weekend. We're going to have all that for you. We're going to have Rumble picks. And speaking of Royal Rumble for all of our wrestling friends uh, over on the homiemediagroup.popping.com, Rad Rob's got the Rad Rumble Week. Seven days of content all centered around the Royal Rumble. He's got some incredible guests lined up. And hell, uh, Jarka, you and I are going to be sitting down with him for Record Wednesday for one of the episodes, we're going to be with MSG, the three of us, and Rad Rob talking some of our favorite Rumble moments and taking a walk down history lane. Uh, outside of that, make sure uh, that you're always catching me Monday mornings in the locker room with the great Ben Hameen and the other doctor that I work with, the man beast, Dr. Ted McKenna. What's your your number one? What's your favorite Rumble memory if you send it home this week? Uh, there, there really is only one that, that stands out far and above and that is the GOAT himself, Ric Flair, claiming the WWF championship. Yeah, that, I mean, that one's absolutely up there. For me, you're a much bigger Royal Rumble fan than I am. I kind of like the uh, the stupid things that happen in Royal Rumbles, like uh, CM Punk basically just laying in the corner for 45 minutes concussed. I think that's absolutely fucking hilarious when that happened. But my favorite one is a shout-out to the Road Dog. Yeah, the road dog, Jesse James. I don't even remember what year it was. I'm going to try to find out before we sit down with Rob. He came out for the rumble, and rather than getting in the ring, he just got up on the apron and laid on his back and wrapped his two arms and two legs around the bottom rope and just laid there for like a half hour. And every every time somebody new would come in, they'd just like go over and kick road dog a couple of times. But as long as you're just sitting there hanging on to the bottom rope, can't nobody throw you over the top rope and to the floor. I thought it was fucking genius. Road Dog Jesse James. Love that shit. I don't know. I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> on that note, we're off like a prom dress. See ya. Watch your fingers. Enable me. I don't give up. Yo, bad guy!
bad guy. Don't worry. <laughs> 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 you know what? We'll be 